in the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we might be, as it were, the first fruits among his creatures. This you know, my beloved brethren, but let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we bring ourselves before you right now. And we ask, Lord, as we have prayed already in song, we ask that you would speak, that you would enable us to discern your voice as you speak to us through your word, God. Open the eyes of our understanding that we might behold Christ and open our ears to hear him speak to us through your word, God. We come before you, O God, and we lay aside sin. We acknowledge, Lord, we have sinned and fallen short of the glory. And that all of our righteous deeds are as filthy rags, Lord. And yet, Lord, we come to you because we know and we believe and we embrace that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. And so therein is our hope. We come to you in the name of your Son, O God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Jesus, for your grace, that you are willing to hear this prayer of ours as we ask, Lord, that you would minister to our hearts. Lord, use me as an unworthy servant to be a blessing to your people. Let us tend to your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, Dr. Marceline Charles, born in poverty-stricken Haiti, he would go on to graduate from Princeton University, and he eventually found employment as a doctor on the island of Guam. I first met I first met Brother Marceline. This is an expression of my appreciation for my friend Marceline. I first met him in my early 20s when I got a job as a social studies teacher on the island of Guam. I began attending Aganya Heights General Baptist Church and Marceline was the Sunday school teacher there. Dr. Marceline Charles had a contagious love for the Word of God. He taught week after week with precision and with passion. It seemed to me that as he taught, like he could flip through the pages of the Bible with his eyes closed. He seemed to know where everything was at. 
as he flipped through God's word, I, I'll never forget noticing that it seemed like every single page was filled with handwritten notes. Not just the New Testament, uh, but the Old Testament as well. Even books like Leviticus were filled with his notes to where he didn't have any more room to add extra notes. Marcelin is a man who humbly receives God's word. I also remember how easy it seemed for Marcelin to be blessed through the public reading and proclamation of God's word. I was a young believer at the time. I had come from a great Bible teaching church. Pastor Milton Vincent was my pastor, and he has always been uniquely gifted to teach the word of God. And when I moved to Guam and began attending Aganya Heights, it did not take long before my arrogance, my pride, raised its ugly head. I developed a sinful pattern where I would overly critique the sermon and then follow up with my complaints. And please understand that the sermons were not heretical. Uh, they just, in my humble opinion, lacked the depth and detail that I had been accustomed to. The preachers there were just not as gifted as Pastor Milton. They did not measure up to my expectations, so I criticized. And I complained. Arrogance. Pride. By way of contrast, Dr. Marcelin Charles, a capable man who knew God's word inside and out, perhaps better than anyone in the church, he always seemed to be blessed by the sermons that were preached. He would always walk away from a sermon sharing what he had learned and how he had been blessed through the preached word. And you could tell that he was sincere because of the way that his face would light up as he shared. I'll never forget the, the big, wide Cheshire cat grin, the big, wide, white eyes, and just the white teeth, and just the joy, the enthusiasm, the sense of blessing that he felt in hearing the word being read, and then hearing it being preached to the best of the preacher's ability. Marcelin is a man who humbly receives the word of God. My wife and I are friends uh, of Marcelin's niece. His niece is Pearl Aquino, and she now attends Cornerstone. Uh, she once lived with her uncle Marcelin and her auntie Marion, and she has shared with us that her uncle Marcelin would spend uh, two hours at the beginning of his day every day just uh, having devotions with the Lord, intense times of study of the word of God. Did I mention that Marcelin is a man who humbly receives God's word? This morning I will address the topic of receiving God's word. My goal is that we gain ground in our ability to effectively receive, interact with, and to respond positively to the word of God. 
And so our message is entitled, Receiving the Word of God. We are framing this message around seven truths to embrace in order to properly and effectively receive the Word of God. And again, our text is James chapter 1, beginning in verse 19. Before we dive into it, let us consider the larger context briefly. James is the half-brother of Jesus. Uh, The book of James is a very practical book, and James takes us to where the rubber meets the road. His readers are scattered. Uh, They are scattered, and they are experiencing various trials. James wants for their faith to be displayed as they endure the difficulties, uh, they are to rejoice whenever they encounter various trials, knowing that God has a plan and a purpose, that he designs their growth as a result of the trials that he ordains in their life. And they are to seek God's wisdom as they endure trials. Uh, they are to ask of God for wisdom and asking in faith, not doubting. They are to think rightly about God uh, and their self as they go through these trials. Uh, The wealthy man is to glory in his humiliation and the poor man is to glory in his high position in the Lord. And James uh, tells them, and by way of extension us, that that, that we are not to point our finger at the Lord when he brings trials into our life and, and when such trials are linked to our own temptations to sin. God is never the one who tempts us. He may allow the trial, but he is never to be blamed for sinful choices that we make. James makes it clear that the choice to sin is on us and that such a choice, James says, is deadly. It is deadly. James goes on to say that we are to remember God's perfect gift. And the ultimate perfect gift is the Lord Jesus Christ who came into this world uh, to die on the cross on our behalf, taking upon himself the wrath and the punishment that we deserve. And again, we are to remember this perfect gift and how, and how God has brought us forth. He has brought us forth by the word of truth. This is a reference to the gospel so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. The gospel, the good news is to make a difference in our lives even as we endure various difficulties. And now in verse 19, James directs our attention to the subject of receiving the word. Keep in mind that trials, temptations, and the gospel are the broader context in which James commands us to receive the word of God. And so let us focus on the seven truths that we are to embrace in order to properly and effectively receive the word of God. Truth number one, we are to embrace repetition as we receive the word. In verse 19a, we read, this you know, my beloved brethren, this you know. The word this is actually not in the Greek. The literal reading is, know ye, brothers of me, beloved. The word this that we see in some English translations is implied. Another interpretive challenge pertains to the verb, know. Is it imperative or is it indicative? Is James commanding his readers to know or is James declaring to his readers something 
that they already knew, and commentators are divided. My purpose is not to confuse, but to alert you to the interpretive challenge concerning this verse. And here's my take. Know ye indicates that what James is saying is nothing new. William Barclay supports this view. He translates the verse, All this, my dear brothers, you already know. John MacArthur affirms uh, the NASB translation uh, that says, This you know. You know this, my beloved brethren. But what is James referring to in saying this? You know, what is, what is it that the readers already knew? Does James refer to what has just been stated? James has addressed trials and temptations. And in verse 18 declares, in the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. Is this what James is referring to? Or is he pointing ahead to everything he is about to say as it relates to the necessity of receiving the word implanted? Daniel Doriani says in the Reformed Expository Commentary, uh, quote, the best answer is both. James's readers must take to heart what he has said about trials and they must heed what he says next about receiving the word and acting upon it. John MacArthur asserts when James declares this, you know, that he is referring primarily back to verse 18. I think at the very least we can say that this is true. And verse 18 reads, in the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, by the gospel so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. This understanding allows us to see a gospel link to the commands that will follow, especially as they center around the primary command in verse 21 to receive the word implanted. Whether James is pointing back to what he has just declared, pointing forward to what he is about to say, or more broadly referring to all that is being said, this is not the first time for his readers to hear such instruction. The readers are being told things that they already knew. My point in bringing this out is that we do well when we embrace repetition as we receive the word of God. Some people complain about repetition. But we see repetition in God's word. We see it here and in other places in the Bible. Proverbs is a perfect example of a father using repetition as a means of teaching his son. How many times does the father say, listen to me, pay attention to what I have to tell you? And how many times does the father address Topics such as working hard, it's all over the place, and maintaining purity, it is all over the place. Not just in Proverbs, but throughout the Bible, throughout the Old and New Testament, God employs 
repetition as an aid to our learning. It makes sense after all, right? Because we are sheep. And as a sheep, I know that I am dumb. And as a dumb sheep, I need for the Lord to speak to me. Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, I need to hear the word of God. Sometimes we need to be told several times. We need reminders. The humble person hears repetition. And he assumes that he or perhaps someone else needs to hear the truth again. Who's to say that there may be someone here who for the first time is hearing something that's been said week after week after week after week. And I may be sitting here in the pew thinking to myself, man, I've heard this. Pastor Milton keeps saying, not that he's repetitive because I know he's not, but hypothetically, if he is, he's saying it again and again. And I might sit there in my seat thinking, this is getting kind of old. But who is to say that the Lord hasn't brought someone into the church for that first time and it's exactly what they need to hear? It is humility to see things through this lens and to understand that repetition, not just for myself, but for the sake of another person, may very well be the thing that God is intending to do. It is easy to forget, especially when going through seasons of difficulty. We focus on the situation rather than the Savior. We fix our attention on the world rather than on the word of God. And the Lord teaches us in the parable of the soils that the cares of the world can choke out the word. We need reminders. We need repetition. James declares this, you know. He knows that repetition is the aid to learning. So he says what has been said before. Well, let us now turn to truth too. We must be quick to hear the word of God. Again, the broader context has everything to do with receiving the word. And so we must be quick to hear the word of God. 19b says, but, which also could be translated and, let everyone be quick to hear. Everyone means everyone. No matter how old or how young you are, no matter your situation or station in life, whether single or married, whether in good times or bad times, in richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health. Sounds like a wedding. But you get the point. Everyone. God, through his word, gives command to everyone to be quick to hear. I would ask you this morning, right now, are you quick to hear? Are you on the edge of your seat listening, saying, Lord, speak. I know you have something for me and I want to take home what it is that you want to say to me. The word taxis can be translated quick, swift, without delay. The word akuo carries the idea to hear, to heed, to listen to. Part of what is being communicated is that we must not delay in positioning ourselves to hear the word of God. Quick to hear. We can apply this many ways. We should be quick to hear God speak through daily devotions. I gave Marceline 
Charles as an example of that. Psalm 1 talks about the blessed man, and we read that uh, in his law he meditates day and night. And he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, uh, whose leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. The blessed man is intimately acquainted with the word of God. First Peter 2.2 tells us that we are to long for, or other translations read, um, to eagerly desire the pure spiritual milk of the word of God that by it we may grow in respect to our salvation. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, we read that the one who hears the word of God and acts upon the words of Christ, he is like the wise man who built his house upon the rock. When the storms of life Uh, came, he was able to stand strong. God indeed desires to help us to be strong through his word as we endure difficulties. Again, we are wise to take serious our personal times in the word of God. Uh, We should be quick to hear God speak through the preaching of his word. As the word is being preached, we, we ought to be quick to hear him speak. And these days, We have ability to hear sermons every day, every day via the Internet, websites, podcasts and so on and so forth. We can hear sermons of great preachers like John MacArthur, John Piper, Charles Spurgeon. Not that he's the one preaching, but someone reads his sermons. But we can hear Spurgeon preaching and we can hear Pastor Milton Vincent preaching. My favorite personal favorite Sermon site is MacArthur's Grace to You. I love it because every single New Testament passage has been preached on and you can go to it, you can listen to it to hear what he has to say on that particular passage or even on a given topic. It's such a wonderful resource to help us as we seek to tend to the word of God and we seek to receive the word of God. I want to also add that we do well. And I know I'm talking to the choir, so please don't take offense. Uh, But just in case someone needs to hear this, um, we do well to prioritize Sunday worship where we gather together with brothers and sisters in Christ around the preached word of God and we get to see a face preaching the word. I believe there is something special that is going on in that context that perhaps is, is more special than listening to the pastor on a screen. Not that the Lord can't use that. But the live preaching of the word, I would submit to you, is important. And by the way, our text says that we are to, you know, in, in all humility, receive the word of God. And in that day, for the most part, they actually heard it being uh, unpacked, preached, and explained. Perhaps the most important hour of our week is when we gather together in the local church to hear the preached word. The preacher spends 20, 30 hours studying a topic or a passage in order to minister to the people of God. How many of us have that much time in a week where we focus on one passage or topic in the same way that the preaching pastor can? When we gather to hear the preached word, we ought to benefit tremendously 
We come expecting uh, with a confidence knowing the Lord is going to speak and I am going to benefit. This is going to be food for my soul to help me through the course of the next week. And this, when we think about it, dovetails with the fact that those who preach God's word, they are to take serious their responsibility to give their all towards the goal of feeding the sheep. I think this is in part why James later in the epistle declares, let not many become teachers as such. We will receive a more strict judgment. Even as I stand before you and I break open the bread of life, I understand that there is a day of reckoning and I will give an account before the Lord. And so I believe there is an exhortation contained herein to those that would preach the word of God, that we would take our responsibility seriously and do the best we can with the gifts that God has given us. I would also add that we should be quick to hear God speak through other believers in Christ. Okay, there are so many different venues, so many different uh, opportunities inside of which the Lord would want to speak, not just through the pulpit and through some of the other means that I have talked about. I was in Sunday school this morning and Brother Alvin Davis, Pastor Alvin Davis was taken over for me in teaching and I was just so blessed to sit underneath the teaching of the word of God as he imparted it to me. I felt like, like it was just, um, it was nourishing to my soul. So many different contexts inside of which God would want to minister his word. In our care group, for example, through the adult equipping school, through children's church, through the Awana ministry, through the council time in the Awana ministry, uh, through the men's Bible study, the man form, the women's Bible study. And perhaps even after the service, you'll find yourself in a conversation with a brother or sister in Christ. And it might be that the Lord would, through you or through them, minister his word. And we ought to be quick to hear when that happens. Well, let us go ahead, turn to truth number three. We must be slow to speak, slow to speak when hearing the word of God. Verse 19c says, slow to speak. We consider it impolite when interrupting others when they are speaking. Likewise, it is impolite when we interrupt the Lord. Much is revealed when we are quick to speak and interrupt the Lord. First, we reveal disregard for the authority of the word of God. Second, we reveal disbelief in the sufficiency of the word of God. We think more highly of what we think and have to say than what God is wanting to say. Thirdly, we reveal doubt in God's goodness to us. Do we understand that God in his infinite goodness has given to us his word that we might read his word, hear his word preached and benefit from it? When we are quick to interrupt what the Lord would have to say, again, we reveal doubt in his goodness. Fourth, we reveal pride, rudeness, self-centeredness. We do well to embrace repetition, uh, to be quick to listen, to be slow to speak when hearing the word of God. But often, often we do not like what we are hearing. In our flesh, we may find ourselves rising up against God, not liking what we are hearing 
we have an idea of how we want uh, to live our life, but God's word challenges such an idea. Uh, We are tempted to be angry at the Lord. And so this brings us to truth number four. We must be slow to anger. We must be slow to anger when hearing the word of God. In verse 19d through 20, we read, uh, And slow the anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Let us be, let me uh, uh, say something about this little phrase. Let us be is a present tense active voice command. We don't have a choice. We must be right now, even as the word of God is being preached to you. We must be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to anger. We must not allow anger to get the better of us when God's word speaks against what we think or what we do. I have witnessed professing believers argue vehemently against truth contained in the word of God. Professing believers can be so committed to their own systematic theological view that they reject what God clearly proclaims in his word. And we need to be careful not to do that. This is a danger and we must in humility receive the word implanted. There are some who allow their theological persuasions to take them straight to hell. Now, this is an extreme, but it is true that there are some that because of their theological persuasions, they are taking themselves straight to the pit. Some examples are just obvious. The Trinity is a biblical doctrine that must not be rejected. But there are some who come knocking at our door who open their version of the Bible and they seek to convince us that Jesus is not fully God. Others wish to convince us that Jesus is a God and that we too can become a God someday. They say, as Jesus was, I am. And as Jesus is, so I will become. On the one hand, Jesus is demoted. And on the other hand, man is promoted. It's a wrong view of God that they espouse And one's view of God cannot be disconnected from one's view of man. And what these false believers do is elevate their false theology above the word of God so that at the end of the day, they're doomed. And when we use God's word to challenge their false doctrine, they either get angry or decide to move on to the next house and to knock on the next door. I would say to such folks that they must, in humility, receive the word of God. They need the true word of God. I have had Catholic family members upset at me for telling them that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And I have taken such family members to the word of God. And more times than not, their eyes glaze over. And they carte blanche reject the clear teaching of the Bible. Family members have accused me of pride for believing that my salvation hinges not upon my own good works, but upon the finished work of Christ alone. And in my mind, I want to turn that right around and think to myself, well, they are the ones being proud because they are not taking God at his word. I recall one person who in his anger called me. 
because of my understanding of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, he called me a child of the devil. I would say that such people do well to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger as they are being confronted with the truth of God's word. And while our passage applies to professing believers, it more directly, I think, applies to those who are genuine believers. We need these commands as genuine believers. We need these commands to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Believers get angry when challenged from God's word regarding particular theological positions. I have seen this. A professing believer might get angry over the doctrine of election and God's absolute sovereignty over salvation. Yet this is what Christ taught. And Paul, regarding the topic, declares, Who are you, O man, who answers back to God? But God's word does more than just confront our thinking, our systematic theology at times, or what have you. It also confronts behavior. And when it does, we must be slow to anger. I have seen professing believers respond in anger when told that they cannot, that they must not leave their spouse. This week, a professing believer was confronted about her decision to marry. In her situation, she and her fiancé would be committing adultery if they marry. She had already been exhorted not to marry, This week, she was exhorted again. This time, it wasn't me who offered the exhortation. It was another person in our church. Well, this person walked away angry. This passage would have something to say to her. Children, children, listen to me. God's word commands you to honor And to obey your parents. Obey when mom tells you to clean your room. Or wash the dishes. Obedience is not an option unless you are being told to do something that is wrong. And your anger towards your mom or even your dad when they tell you to wash the dishes. Is ultimately anger toward the Lord who commands you in his word to obey your parents. And he tells you to do so, so that it might go well with you. It is the path of wisdom. Teenager, perhaps your parents think that you should work harder on your grades. If such an expectation is within reach, you should honor such a request. That might require you to study on a Friday night rather than hang out with friends. You may be tempted to get angry at your parents, such anger is ultimately towards the Lord. And God, in his word, I believe, has something clear to say to you regarding the matter of obedience or even honoring parents. Now, you might read the verse and you might think being slow to anger allows you to eventually become angry. There is a time and a place where it's okay for me to get angry. Well, as far as sinful fleshly anger, such is not the case. 
James seals the deal when he goes on to say that man's anger does not achieve the righteousness of God. Man's anger towards the Lord and towards what he says to him and his failure to submit to the Lord never achieves the righteousness of God in his life. If your goal is to achieve the righteousness of God in your life, that should be your goal, then understand your anger will never get you there. Our anger hinders us from experiencing God's righteousness in our life. Uh, This means that the righteousness of God imparted to us will be undermined by our own sinful anger, Uh, will not be conformed into the image of Christ while simultaneously being angry at the Lord or angry because of the trials that he is allowing in our life. The preacher quotes the word of God. Do not be unequally yoked. But I, I really, I like that girl. What's the big deal if she's a, an unbeliever? Perhaps she'll come to faith. What's wrong with missionary dating? And so you seek counsel from other believers and they tell you God's word speaks clearly on the matter. And so you find yourself frustrated with what they're saying, but more so frustrated with the Lord because the Lord speaks clearly to these things. And you just simply want to just reject and you're frustrated, yea, even angry at the Lord. As a 21 year old college student, I was an intellectual believer And during that season, I was living in sin. I was being told by another believer that sex outside marriage was sin. It was wrong. And so I purchased a strong concordance and I studied every verse in the Bible dealing with sex. Some of you have heard this before. My goal was to find a passage that told me I was okay with how I was living my life, that I could be sexually active with my girlfriend. Uh, Instead, it became clear to me based upon the authority of the word of God, that those who practice sexual sin do not inherit the kingdom of God. I knew then that unless I stopped, I was destined to hell. So I had a choice. I could have been angry at the Lord. Why are you taking the fun out of my life? Don't you want me To be happy, you're ruining my life. Why can I not have sex with my girlfriend? I could have resolved in my anger at that point to reject the Lord and to give him the hand. But by the grace of God, I did not point my finger at the Lord. By his grace, I accepted the truth of his word. I did not get angry. And in due time, When the Lord helped me to more fully understand him and what he accomplished for me at the cross in dying on the cross for a sinner such as myself, when I was able to wrap my heart and my mind around the grace of God, the righteousness of God was accomplished in my life through the power of the gospel. I was able to turn from my sexual sin and a host of other sins And walk in a way that honors the Lord. And this dovetails with truth number five. Truth five. We must lay aside sin as we humbly receive the word of God. Verse 21a says, Therefore, 
and so therefore indicates a clear connection with what he has already said to what he is about to say. There's a link here. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. The controlling idea, receive the word implanted. We are to be quick to listen when God is speaking. We are to be slow to speak when God is speaking. We are to be slow to anger when God says what we might not want to hear. In fact, when the light of God's word sheds light in our darkness, we must, in faith, walk in the light as we lay aside all the filthiness and all the wickedness that is being exposed. This is what it means to humbly receive The word implanted. We have no room for compromise. We are called to holiness, to being set apart for the glory of God. We are to lay aside all sin as we in humility receive the word implanted. Rupapia is the Greek word translated filthiness. It can also be translated uncleanness or vulgarity. The idea is that we are to put aside anything that defiles. This includes filthy thoughts, desires, words, deeds, all of it. Kakia is the word translated wickedness. It speaks of any form of evil. We are to put it all aside. And we are to put aside such wickedness as we humbly receive the word implanted. What sin? What sin is there in your life that you know before Almighty God that needs to be put aside? Is it an attitude? An action? Jealousy? Anger, arrogance, pride, slander, gossip, laziness, indifference, lust, sex, alcoholism. And the list can go on and on and on and on. Is there any sin that needs to be put aside in your life? Well, this brings us to truth six we must receive the word of god with humility he says in verse 21b in humility in humility receive the word implanted which is able to save your soul the word translated humility is proutus it is most often translated gentleness actually We see this word in James 3.13 where James talks about the gentleness of wisdom. Wisdom is associated with gentleness. It is associated with this term. We see the same word in Galatians 5.23 where Paul declares that gentleness, same word, is one of the fruits of the Spirit. It is produced by the Spirit in us. Being filled with and walking by the Spirit is marked By gentleness. And here James declares that in humility, in gentleness, we are to receive God's word. 
This is a wise and spiritual approach to living life. We must fully embrace our need for a word from the Lord. We are dependent. We must hear from the Lord. We must hear his voice. And Jesus says, my sheep, hear my voice. And we must not allow pride, arrogance, Uh, to hinder us from receiving God's word. We must have a low view of self and an exalted view of God. God's greatness and grandeur should motivate us towards receiving his word. Uh, We need to hear him speak life into our soul. We are to approach almighty God with reverence and awe. It is in humility with gentleness that we come even now before the Lord, to hear him speak through his word. This is wise. This is spiritual. And here we discover the very heart of the passage. Again, receive the word implanted. Herein is James's primary passion for his readers, that we build our lives upon the foundation of Christ and his word. He knows that the only way that we can face the trials and temptations of life is through God's word. James knows that God's word equips and empowers God's people to be all that they are called to be. Thus, James fires off the command, in humility, receive the word implanted. The expression word implanted brings to mind a picture of a planter scattering the seed of God's word. We are to receive the seed of God's word into our lives as it is scattered. And the word implanted is designed to do what? To take root, to sprout, to grow, and then bear fruit. It is the implanted word that bears fruit in our lives. We are absolutely dependent upon the Lord through his word to cause us to grow. Nevertheless, it is our responsibility to position ourselves to where we are hearing the word of God. James provides good reason for us to receive God's word. The word implanted is able to save our soul. The word of God is powerful. It is living. It is active. It is life-giving. It was through the word of God that at the age of 21, I was delivered from darkness and brought into the kingdom of light. Never underestimate the power of God's word to transform the vilest of sinners. I was in bondage to sex and to drugs, yet through the power of the gospel, through the word implanted by the grace of God, I experienced salvation. You have a neighbor, a classmate, a co-worker, That person drops F-bombs every sentence he speaks. He talks about getting wasted over the weekend. He brags about his sexual encounters. Friend, God's word is powerful to transform the vilest of offenders. While God's word is able to save in the sense of justifying a sinner, in the sense of justification, being brought into the kingdom to begin with. God's word is also able to save in the sense of sanctification. Even as believers, we have daily the need to be being saved 
from ourself. Uh, daily the need to be saved from the remnants of the indwelling sin that wants to rear his ugly head and cause us to act in the flesh rather than walk by the Spirit. And the Word of God is able to save us, even as believers from ourselves, that we might grow in reference to our salvation, that we might experience sanctification in the Lord. And so in this sense as well, God's Word is able to save And God's word is able to save in the ultimate sense of our glorification through God's word and primarily the gospel that is ministered to us through the word of God. We experience salvation again, not necessarily justification, though that's true, but sanctification as we prepare for glory. And so we absolutely need God's word and we must receive God's word. But it is not enough to simply receive the word of God. And in case this has not been clear enough, James will leave no room for question. Truth seven. We must respond in obedience to the word of God. He says in verse 22, but prove yourselves doers of the word. And not merely hearers who delude themselves. Apply the word. Do the word. Obey the word. Submit to the Lord when the Lord speaks to you. Do what he says without delay. Prove yourselves doers of the word. It's not enough to hear and to affirm the word of God. James tells us you believe that God is one. Great. The the demons believe and they shudder. And simple intellectual belief is not sufficient enough to save. We must, by faith, at the end of the day, walk in obedience to the Lord when he speaks to us his commands in the word. Again, we are to do what God tells us to do. In James uh, chapter 2, he tells us, faith without works, useless. It cannot save. Faith without works, James says, is dead. Now, the key is that we have faith, but a faith that results in a transformed life where good work is evident. If you have genuine faith, that'll make a difference in how you live your life. We're not saved by our work. We're saved by faith. Okay, we're saved by faith alone. But faith that is alone cannot save that faith if it's true faith must be accompanied by a transformed life in which good works are evident and so again this passage declares we are to act upon the word of god james tells us that those who merely hear the word and don't do as it says he says they delude themselves the word delude can mean deceive uh, or defraud this is the idea you deceive yourself you defraud yourself you're you're living a delusion if you think that you can just simply hear and not obey what god in his word tells you to do a deceived person thinks wrongly he believes lies the person failing to heed god's word embrace lies embraces lies when we choose against obedience to the word of god we defraud ourselves as well we miss out on opportunities for spiritual growth as well as other opportunities that accompany such growth. Uh, Sin may result in being disqualified for an opportunity that the Lord might have in store 
for a person. Certain jobs require a clean record. Sin may result in a loss of trust, for example, in your marriage or in other situations. Let me give an illustration here that might help. If I tell my teenage child to be home by 11 p.m., but she arrives at 11.45 because she is doing something trivial like watching a movie that she has seen 453,000 times already, I might say, didn't you hear me say that I expected you home by 11? She replies, I heard, um, I heard. (laughs) Maybe that's not how she sounded. I just thought I would try. Uh, You get the idea. It's a girl speaking. I heard, but I was watching a a movie with my friends. I could say, uh, if you didn't obey me, you really didn't hear me. She deceives herself if she thinks she truly heard, though she casually disregards my message. Yet by her action, she also defrauds herself. She defrauds herself of a strong, trusting relationship with her father. Thus, the daughter both deceives and defrauds herself. So we must not just listen to the Lord. We must obey what he tells us to do. This last truth poses a problem, does it not? We must respond in obedience. Nothing less than 100% perfect obedience to Almighty God is demanded of us. We must obey every command of the Lord. When the Lord speaks, we obey. But the problem lies in the fact, as James in chapter 3, verse 3 declares, for we all stumble in many ways. Paul in Romans 3.23 tells us all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. Isaiah 64.6 For all of us have become like one who is unclean and all of our righteous deeds are like filthy rags and all of us wither like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind. They take us away. And maybe this is why James front loads and he end loads this passage, this section with the gospel. In verse 18, he reminds us that the Lord has brought us forth by the word of truth. The Lord has brought us forth by the gospel. And then in verse 25, James reminds us that God's perfect law is the law of liberty. It is the law of freedom. It is the law of freedom because in it we behold the Christ who died a bloody death on the cross in our place in order to free us from the guilt and the power that sin has over our lives. I'm reminded of where John says, the blood of Jesus cleanses us, it purifies us from all sin. And therein is our hope, 
that though we have failed the Lord on many fronts, we have one who did not fail. The Lord Jesus Christ lived an absolutely pristine, perfect, pure life. And as such, he was able to go to the cross in our place and suffer and die as the perfect lamb of God, a substitute so that through his death, you and I might have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. If you are here today, And if you have not put your faith in Christ, let me tell you today that Jesus Christ died on the cross so that all of your sins would be atoned for. You don't have to clean up your act before you come to him. The Lord Jesus says, I came not for the righteous, but for the unrighteous. I came not for the healthy. I came for the sick. I came to seek and to save that which was lost. If you are here this morning and you know that you are ruined and undone, I say to you, welcome to the club. We are all ruined and undone, but we have one who was not ruined, one who was not undone. The Lord Jesus died on the cross, took upon himself the wrath that we deserve, and then he was raised up bodily from the dead so that if we put our trust and our faith and our hope in Christ alone and not our own good work, we can experience salvation. I know, I know, I am certain that there are those who are here who have yet to do that. You might be a young person. You might be a child. You might be a teenager. You might be an adult. You might be an old person. And I want you to know, do not leave this building without understanding that the blood of Jesus purifies us from all of our sin. All of our sin. All of our sin. Praise the Lamb who for sinners was slain. What hope that we have. What a blessing. So we have focused our attention on the topic, receiving the word of God. One, we are to embrace repetition as we receive the word of God. Two, we must be quick to hear the word of God. Three, we must be slow to speak when hearing the word of God. Four, we must be slow to anger when hearing the word of God. Five, we must lay aside sin as we humbly receive the word of God. Six, we are to receive the word of God with all humility. And seven, we must respond in obedience to the word of God. In the introduction, I referred to Dr. Marcel and Charles. I did so not to exalt him. In fact, I know that he would weep at the thought of anyone esteeming him too highly. I know that because I I have seen him display that in his ministry. I have seen him, when someone gave him too much praise, just fall down right there in front of the class in total tears. Not to me. Not to me. But to him alone be the glory. I have seen him on the spot remind us of his sin before Christ and the struggles even in Christ in an attempt to help us to realize there is one hero. There is one who is worthy of worship. And if we would but give to him our worship, It is he who empowers us to do what he is calling us to do. 
It is through him. I referred to Dr. Marcelin to highlight the example of a man, as busy as he was, who prioritized the word of God in his life. And may we, all of us, like Brother Marcelin, in humility, receive the word implanted. I want to ask you to pray with me. And as the ushers come forward to collect our offering as we prepare to give to the Lord a portion of what he has blessed us with, we acknowledge the fact that God owns everything, what we give and what we keep, it is all his. And we are called to steward these resources for his glory. As the worship team comes to ready us to sing, let us pray. Heavenly Father, Almighty God, I pray, Lord, that you would cause your word that has been implanted to have effect in the lives of all of us. I pray, God, that we would be a people who would, in humility, receive your word, that we would hunger for you through your word, that we would tend to your word, that we would find ourselves through your word being strengthened and encouraged and growing. Lord, I don't know what everyone is going through here this morning, uh, but I'm sure that I speak on behalf of some, if not all of us, when we say, Lord, uh, that we, we need you. We recognize in our life there are struggles, Lord, that at times get the better of us. And Lord, your word speaks to us, and at times we struggle to hear Christ. We struggle to understand what you have for us. And Lord, living life in this fallen world can be such a challenge at times. But we come to you and we ask, Lord, that you would grant wisdom because your word says, ask. And he will give to all generously without reproach. And Lord, even as we have heard the word this morning, we have been reminded that we are to receive the word implanted, which is able to save our souls. And so I pray, Lord, that you would be saving people even now, saving us even now, Lord, from self. Uh, let us be crucified with Christ. Let us be dead to self and let the spirit of Almighty God fill us and take control of us and let us walk by your spirit, Lord. Let us walk by your spirit. Again, Lord, we pray that you would take the little that we offer to you, multiply it for your glory, for the advancement of the kingdom. We thank you, Lord, above all things, that Christ himself, though he were rich, yet for our sake he became poor, that in Christ we might become rich. And Lord, as we sing this final song, as we close in song and some announcement, we just pray, Lord, that this would serve as an extension of our worship. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.